Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. The word of the Lord. We're in a teaching series on the Gospel of Matthew. Until the end of the summer, it's called Jesus Unfiltered. We are looking at how people who encountered Jesus throughout the Gospels, they tended to see him and interpret him through filters. So these filters could have been the filters of their own agenda, many of them their own expectations at the time of what a Jewish Messiah, the Jewish hope of a Messiah should be and ought to be and their own desires. Who did they want Jesus to be? So with a filter, some things got through, like any filter, and some things did not get through. Despite hearing and despite seeing the same exact Jesus, they all had very different answers to the question that we just read, right? Who do people say that I am? Elijah, Jeremiah, John the Baptist, many, many different responses. In this series, we're asking, how might this same thing be happening to me and to us? Do I have filters? And what are they? And how can we see and how can we follow Jesus with no filters as he truly and really is? For this message, I want to focus in on just one area that I think we probably all have some kind of filters from our own stories or experiences from our culture, from our opinions. And that is this one thing, the relationship of Jesus to the church. We're going to look at just one verse, not even the whole verse, just one sentence in one verse, Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus says, I will build my church. On the one hand, this is a day to celebrate the church for our church, Trinity Church, how Jesus is doing this very thing here, how he's building our church. On this special Sunday, we have welcomed new members into our church, people who are willing to stand up in front of all of us and say, I reaffirm my belief in Jesus Christ, and I believe enough in this church to want to do that with all of you. That's an amazing thing to celebrate. We also celebrate baptism, which is, as I said, a sign of welcome into the church, and we baptize our children in the hope that they would stay with the church that they would never leave behind the church, that all their lives they would be a significant part, eventually pouring themselves and their gifts into the church. That's why we baptize. And today we get to set a church record as we ordered 130 burritos. So we can celebrate that as well. 
On the other hand, I realize that now, maybe more than ever in our culture, a lot of people, and maybe a lot of you, are struggling with the church, with the relationship of Jesus to the church. Maybe we've said, or maybe we've had conversations with people who say, I like Jesus. He's intriguing, but I don't like the church. Or people who have said, I've kind of stepped back out of church, kind of the institutional church thing, not my thing. But I'm just going to do my own life and thing with Jesus. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've felt that. Now, after a year of a pandemic with cascading crises, it's like we've been through a hurricane and a tornado and an earthquake all in one year when it comes to all that's happened in our lives and around us in the culture. And more people than ever are struggling with the church at various levels. Based on what I see, these struggles are happening kind of along a spectrum. Here's where the graphic comes in. So this graphic is a collaborative effort between me and David Ta, our pastoral intern. It's the yellow graphic. It says, uh, post-COVID struggles with church. I want to go through these and see if you identify with any of these yourself or with people you know. Some people say, I'm done with church. Here are some of the statistics. Less people in the United States are meaningfully connected to a church than ever before in our history. During COVID, one-third of practicing Christians stopped attending their church, one-third. It's the first time in the history of the United States that less than half of the population, first time in history, say they belong to any church. So some people are saying, I'm done. Maybe Jesus, but not the church. As we move down the spectrum, some just feel distrust, pretty serious distrust. This seems to me to be at an all-time high. There's trauma that people have from their experiences in church. There's moral failures of church leaders. There's abuse that happens within the church. All of this is extremely tragic, and people wonder, can I trust? Can I really trust the church? Who can I trust? Moving down the spectrum there seems to be a lot of disillusionment. When we look back at the church, the history of the church, the current church, and feel like there's just areas where I see the church compromising. The church has been complicit. Maybe we see in our reading of history, the church has been on the wrong side of history, and that just troubles us. For many people, there seems to be a massive disconnect between what they know of Jesus and what they see happening in the church, in the church that says they follow Jesus. And so a lot of people, maybe some of you are feeling disillusioned with the church. Just this week, I was listening to an interview, kind of like a podcast interview, and um, in the course of that interview, they had played some audio clips from somebody who was speaking up front in a very large church, and what was said by this person, it just grieved me deeply, it confused me tremendously, and it angered me, because based on what I believe and think, there's no way that this has any meaningful connection, what this person was saying to the church. And people, this person was not only saying it, but people in the congregation were saying, amen, and applause, and applause was going forward. And I said, what is happening? How can this be? Do I even have the same faith as these people? So we struggle with disillusionment. Maybe you've had that experience. 
Uh, others, going further down the spectrum, there's a bit of drift, right? A continuous slow movement away from God and church and community. On Sundays, we've always been busy. There's travel. There's activities. We have young kids. It's hard to get them to church. We're resting from all of our busy lives. After a year of surviving and trying to do church online, there's just this feeling of disconnect. It just feels like we're kind of drifting from church. Maybe you find yourself somewhere in there. And lastly, there's just this, what I would call discomfort. Church and God once felt comfortable, but now feels like I feel anxious about church. I feel anxious for good reason about coming to worship in other people's presence. We just went through a pandemic. So there's discomfort about health and safety. Maybe you haven't even been in a, a group of more than like five or ten people. You're introverted, maybe you're just unsure, maybe you just don't know why you're feeling just really uncomfortable about church. So you're just hanging back and doing things online. You can keep that graphic out in front of you, but what I want to do now is move to what Jesus says. And what he says here in this one sentence addresses all of these things, and I hope to show you the application of what Jesus says, no matter where we are, folks here and folks watching online in this spectrum, if we identify with any of these feelings of discomfort and struggle. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the sentence. We're going to do it Yoda style, Yoda style being backwards. So instead of going forward, I will build my church, church, my build will I. Right, that's how Yoda would say it. So we're going to do that word by word in reverse order. Each word is so important. We're going to start with the word church at the end. Jesus says, I will build my church. Here Jesus is talking about building something in corporate and collective terms, right? Not individualistic terms. The word here for church in the Jewish understanding goes back to the Exodus. In the Hebrew, it was the kahal, the assembly of people. is when all the people assembled before God. So it was a massive group, a community of people, the assembly that God rescued from Egypt and brought through the wilderness. That was the ecclesia, translated into Greek, same word here. In Greek, the word ecclesia meant any assembly or gathering of people. It was just a communal gathering for any purpose. Of course, this, this means the word church is not a building like we can use it today. It's a community of people. And so here's what Jesus is saying. Here's what I'm going to do. I am building a community. I will build my ecclesia. And he doesn't say, then, believe in me. Then I will build your life, your dreams, and your individual and private self and agenda. No, he says, believe in me. Once you understand me, then I will build you into my community. Now, this is what I realized this week. I never really realized this before, that the timing and the place of this sentence is so significant. Everything in the gospel up until this point is driving forward to this moment. Because as you're reading the first 16 chapters of Matthew, you're going, who is this guy? And that's the intended effect. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is he really? And here Jesus, he puts the issue out there. Who do people say that I am? And Peter, who do you say that I am? Everything was leading to this moment. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you get it. As soon as then Jesus is acknowledged to be who he truly is, 
by one of his disciples, Peter, what is his first response? I will build my church. It's amazing, really. The first thing Jesus says, once you get me, here's what I want you to know. First lesson, who is Jesus? Second immediate lesson, what is Jesus building? He is building a church. So Christianity teaches, Jesus teaches, every individual must come to terms with Jesus personally. That's important, ultimate importance. Who is Jesus? Jesus says here, who do you, Peter, say that I am? It's very personal. This is about me and you, Peter, not about what everybody else is saying. But once you get this, Jesus says, you need to know that it's not just about me and you. There is a community I'm building. Jesus is saying here, the individual confession of belief in him is inseparably connected to being a part of the community that Jesus is building. Church. Let's go backwards. Next word, my. I will build my church. This is a clear statement we have in the Gospels that the church was Jesus' idea. The church is not a man-made idea or institution. It goes back to Jesus. Despite the very real and the very hurtful ways the church can let us down and fail us, and it does, how we can all mess it up, how churches can be churches in name only, but not in reality, despite all this and the pain that it causes, and how hard it is. And there are no easy answers to addressing all that. For followers of Jesus, we cannot give up on the church because it's not ours. The church is Jesus's. There are many implications to this. One of the great sources of distrust and disillusionment is when this word, my, is forgotten or is replaced. When the church becomes so identified with a political party, perhaps, a particular nation, perhaps, a particular leader, maybe, or a particular theological approach even the church of the Republican or Democratic Party agenda, the church of this pastor and his vision and his agenda, the church of this theology. Jesus never says, I will build your church. And there is always the very real possibility we can build something that is ours and not his. And that's very sobering to me. It should be very sobering to all of us because it does great damage when we forget that one word. Before I came to Trinity, I was at a church called Redeemer. I was an associate pastor. Um, and coming here to Trinity meant a change in role to be a lead pastor, senior pastor, whatever you call it. But people would say to me before and then as I was making the transition, you know, when are you going to get your own church? And, oh, you're finally getting your own church. It's like, no. It feels so uncomfortable. I know that people meant well there, but... The idea of somebody getting their own church is completely foreign to what Jesus is saying here where he says, it's mine. The church, big C, every little C church is mine. Next word, build. Jesus says to Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. Now, the image here is of construction. Jesus is saying here, Peter, on this rock, here is my first the first of my building materials. I'm going to start on this rock 
and I'm going to build my church. Now, here's where all the debates and all the interesting um, interpretation comes into play. And that is on the question, what is the rock? Is it Peter? Is it Peter's confession or is it Peter as a representative of the 12 disciples? Well, remember Peter, his real name was Simon. More of our burritos are coming, by the way, so that's all good. Thank you for the burritos. Um, that's what's happening over there. Peter's name was Simon, and, and Jesus gave him a nickname. He said, no, you know, I'm going to call you to myself, and your new name is Cephas, Rock. So in the Aramaic and the Hebrew, Cephas just meant rock. In the Greek, it's Petros, so that's where his name Peter comes in. So here, Jesus is saying, well, you get it, Peter, on this rock, Peter, Petros, on this rock, on you, I'm going to build my church. That seems to be the sense. But also, Peter is making the first clear confession of who Jesus is on behalf of the disciples. So his confession can't be separated from himself, the man Peter. And as we've said before, Peter, up until this point, has been functioning as a representative of the 12. You can't separate Peter from his confession from the 12. So I think they're all at work and at play here. The point is this. This is my church, Peter. And I'm going to use you to build it. What it means for us is this. Following Jesus cannot be separated from being a part of the church that Jesus says he will build. And following Jesus cannot be separated from doing our part in building the church he says he will build. Later on in his life, I think Peter applied this and he remembered this. It's hard to imagine him writing these words in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 2. He had to be thinking of this very moment because he said, as you come to him, those who believe in Jesus, a living stone rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house are being built, same word, being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter said, I had this amazing, significant moment with Jesus. But the way that I see that moment is that we're all a part of it. It wasn't just about me and my role. It was about me inviting all of us into our part. We're all stones in this house that is being built. This is where we get the idea that came out of the Reformation, the priesthood of all believers. All who trust in Jesus have a part. They're being built together in this building, which brings out something else that's significant about this image here of a building. If someone says to you, I'm going to build a house. Someone just told me they bought a new house and it's, there's nothing there, it's just dirt. I'm going to build a house. Then something is clear about that. It's not built yet. It's not there. It's not finished. It's not something that comes as a finished product. Even now, as far as I know, you can't buy a house on Amazon and have it delivered, right, to a lot. Let me just order a house on Amazon and you put it over there. No, building a house takes construction. There's pieces, there's parts, there's a process. It takes time. Here, Peter gets the most amazing affirmation you could imagine, right, from Jesus. Peter, you are the rock. I'll build my church on you, on this rock. Then right after this incredible affirmation, Peter gets rebuked with the worst rebuke you could imagine from Jesus. Peter, you get it. On this rock, I will build my church. Peter, we didn't read it, but it's a few verses later. 
get behind me, Satan. This is just moments later, seconds later, the same person. Why? Why did Jesus rebuke him? He totally didn't get it. He didn't get Jesus' mission of service and suffering. So Peter here, he gets Jesus, and he doesn't get Jesus. He understands one moment, and Jesus says, now it's time to build on you, and the next moment he gets it so wrong that he's on the side of Satan. We say, what is going on with that? It's the same thing that's going on with us, friends. One moment we get it. The next moment we completely don't. It's the same thing that goes on with me, with all of us, with every person who makes up the churches that Jesus builds. This is what you get in the church. People who are being built, still under construction, not finished products, and we all come together, very imperfect, still being built. We get Jesus at one moment, and the next, we totally don't. If you've ever been a part of a building project or a house construction project or you remodeled one of your rooms, it always goes according to plan, right? It's super comfortable, right, and easy. No, it's always inconvenient. You have to cook your meals, you know, over here outside on a, on a camping stove or you have to not live in your room for like three months or whatever. It's uncomfortable, it's inconvenient, and such is the church that Jesus builds. Next word, will. The church is built on a promise made by Jesus Christ. I've been in ministry now for over 20 years. That's not like a long time. 20 years, well, no, 20 years is not that long of a time. But I've heard so many times people saying the church is doomed. The church is declining. The church will never make it. Look at all the challenges. It used to be postmodernism, and then it was secularism, and now it's post-truth or fill in the blank, and there's alarm bells, and there's crises being warned, and there's everybody saying, how are we going to make it through? It is sometimes very hard to believe, and maybe for you now, but this sentence still stands, and the word will still stands. Jesus is building his church. No matter the obstacle, no matter what we see as doom and gloom, History has shown us that Jesus is actually making good on this promise. Disease has struck before. Pandemic has struck before. Plague, governments, the pressure they put on Christians, the persecution put on Christians for what they believe and how they practice it. Cultural challenges, compromises of the church, sadly, grievously, failure of leaders. Do any of these things threaten the existence and the continuance of the church? Well, Jesus says, I will build my church. A community that confesses Jesus and truly follows him first, that does not give up on assembling together, will continue. This is what's being said here. From the day that Jesus said that to Peter until right now, until he comes again, Jesus has banked himself and his promise, and we can bank on that. He said, this is what I'm doing. This is what I will do. This is the promise we can trust. We may give up on the church. Many people might and may give up on the church. But Jesus promises never to give up on his church. And sometimes Jesus keeps this promise. 
by allowing seasons that the church goes through, big C, little C churches, where it becomes clear who is and who is not a part of the church and what is and what is not his church. These are shaking moments and seasons. These are very difficult seasons. But sometimes that's how Jesus built his church. Maybe you're discouraged by what you see. If you're like me, maybe you're daunted personally or you're a a part of our church and you're like, I don't know how we're going to restart this. When are we going to move inside? What's going to happen with all that? And it's overwhelming and it's daunting and it can be discouraging. And so I would invite you, as I have been doing this week, to come back to this one word, will. I will build my church. And Jesus adds to that promise in verse 18, the second half. He says, the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I don't have time to unpack that fully, but basically that means death and the powers of darkness will not prevail. No matter how dark it looks, no matter how dark it seems, no matter how much it seems like that darkness has infiltrated the church, Jesus says, it will not prevail against what I am building. Last point, I. I will build my church. Uh, Word to our leaders here and volunteers and people who give themselves to the ministry of this church A word to myself, Jesus says, I, not you. It's not up to to us to build. It's up to Jesus. Wouldn't we have expected him to say, you are Peter. Peter, you get it. So upon you, I will build my church. That's not what Jesus says. He says, I will build my church. You are the rock. You're my building materials, but I will, not you will, build this church, which we would have expected him to say, on you, on the disciples. But Jesus says, I. Now, coming back to that spectrum from done to discomfort, just a few words of application to wrap up. For the disillusioned and the maybe the folks who are drifting. This is something, I hope I can communicate this clearly because it's been so important for me over this past year. If you're disillusioned, if you distrust the church, if you're drifting, I want to ask you to consider this question, where are you looking? Where are you looking for Jesus to build his church? Where are you looking for the building work of Jesus? And I want you to Take that question and think about this question. Where did Jesus tell us to look for his building work of how he works and builds? What did he say about that? Much of what we see is given to us through the filters of headlines, headlines of all kinds of media outlets, whatever it might be, the filters of our Twitter feed, the filters of social media, the filters of what people with platforms and celebrities and crowds and popularity say and do, the people in places where there's money and power and status and popularity, right? I look at those places. I mean, I think all of us tend to say, well, what's going on there? Could it be that we're looking in the wrong places? Is that where Jesus told us to look for evidence of his building work? I believe this is very important. Where did Jesus tell us to look for him. Where there's power, where there's money, where there's status, where there's popularity. As I 
read Jesus. Those are, in fact, the very places he told us not to look. So I just want you to sit with that. I want you to think about that. Maybe if we look in the places where Jesus told us to look, we'd have a completely different perspective on what Jesus is doing and how Jesus is building his church. Folks who are just feeling discomfort and gathering, it's so great to see everybody here in person, some for the first time over the, the past year plus. We never would have imagined a whole year of gathering and assembling and being shut down so that we're just gathering and assembling digitally and online. Never could have imagined that. Praise God for how technology can sustain us and help us worship and assemble together digitally when we can't do it safely, physically. But we all need to remember it's not a substitute. So I'll look in the camera a little bit now for the folks who are following along digitally. Digital cannot replace physical. Ecclesia means to gather, to assemble physically in each other's presence. Digital can supplement, but can never replace. And so what I'm about to say, the question I want you to consider, can sound very self-interested coming from a pastor. So I prayed about it, and I pray that it's coming from a pure and a clean heart to serve you and to shepherd you. And that is this. We have to ask ourselves, when we choose to stay home and not assemble and not gather, why? Why am I home? Why am I not at the ecclesia and the gathering that Jesus is building? I don't ask that to put you on the spot, to judge you, or anything like that. I understand it's difficult. There's reasons for discomfort. There's reasons why maybe it's not safe for us to return and come back physically. But I just encourage you to bring that question before Jesus, to bring that discomfort to him and help him or help to help you, have him help you find the answer to that question and what's going on. Why is it that there's discomfort there? Final point. Jesus says, I will build my church. And when... We struggle with that for whatever reason, feeling like, I don't know if I can participate. I don't know if I can trust. I'm, I'm just discouraged and disillusioned or, di or just uncomfortable. All those things are happening. We can come back to this. How do we trust that Jesus is at work and he will work in us as we stay connected to his imperfect, in-process construction project that is the church? Ephesians 5, there Paul is comparing Jesus' relationship to the church, to the marriage relationship, and he says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did all this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. We can trust, friends, even at this church, whatever church you find yourself in in the future, that Jesus is so committed to his church. He died. Even though we are imperfect, we are unlovable, he died to make us holy, and he's doing that to us together. It is a beautiful, it is a difficult, but it is a holy thing. Jesus says, I will do it. I will build my church. That's what I died to do. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that powerful sentence from your son. We thank you for how it encourages us. There are all kinds of challenges we've faced, we've gone through. We know that they are not outside of your sovereign plan and purposes. And so I pray for each of us, if we find ourselves somewhere struggling with those questions, those struggles, those discomforts, disillusionment, discouragement, all those things that you would meet us in what you said to us here, in your word, Lord Jesus, and also as we just spend time together, singing and then eating together, would you encourage us? Would you humble us? Would you lift our eyes up to see you, your promise, your ability to do what might be impossible in our eyes, to keep building us into what you see us, want us, and died to make us to be. Strengthen our faith, increase our love for one another, and help us to do the simple work day to day of building into each other's lives as the church. We pray it in your name. Amen.